0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first in a series of podcasts for researchers all about how to raise your profile online and use online networks. Uh, my name is Steve Cross. I am a trainer in networking and profile raising, unsurprisingly, since I'm doing a podcast like this. And I've got someone else with me who has also a wealth of experience of helping researchers develop their profile and build their networks. And they are.
1: Hi, I'm Sam Byers. I'm a researcher developer at the University of Cambridge. Um, most of you have probably already seen me in a work in a workshop
0: so this is the first episode in a series of thinking about different ways that you can raise your profile and throughout this series we're not going to try and lay out a blueprint for you we're aware that every researcher is different every career is different and uh the online ecosystem is changing so fast that if we said to you, this is how you drive Twitter followers, that information will be out of date in two weeks. But instead, what we're going to try and do is give you little nuggets that you can take away and develop for yourself. So if you're listening to this thinking, well, 60% of that I'm not interested in, that's what we're trying to do. We want the 40% to actually be incredibly useful for you. This first episode is about social media. And how researchers use social media and what they use it for, and um, the kinds of platforms that they do, but first of all, I think we should find out what kind of social media experience we have Sam are you on are you on any of the the
1: socials um i used to be I have to admit I used to be on twitter uh, I used to use Twitter an awful lot when I was a postdoc uh, I used to use it to um, tweet interesting things that were on on topic for the the area that I was working in. Um,
0: What Um, was your postdoc in?
1: It was in molecular endocrinology.
0: Whoa, big words.
1: Yeah, big words. Um, It sounds a lot posher than it was.
0: (laughs) And so were were you connecting with other molecular endocrinologists from around the world on Twitter, or you were just kind of shouting about the research that you were doing?
1: Um, I was connecting with other um, endocrinologists across the um, across the world. I was part of the Young Endocrinologist uh, Steering Group Committee, uh, which was part of the Society for Endocrinology, um, and that was a really good platform. Uh, Twitter was a really good platform for us to get get our message out, advertise um, grants, conferences, particular papers of interest, um, and get just get people talking about what it was like to be a young endocrinologist at the time.
0: Uh, That sounds like pretty typical researcher experience for me. I meet some researchers who say to me, uh, Steve, I'm going to use Twitter to connect with the public, with this kind of very vague idea of what the public is. And um, one of the things I always try to say to them is that this this general idea of the public that you have isn't really on Twitter. What Twitter is, is loads of different subsystems and niches and groups interacting with each other. It's way more. These days of a professional networking tool than it is a way to tell the world what you're doing. Now, some people can use it to tell the world what they're doing. If you're doing something journalists are interested in, journalists will pick your tweets up and share them around the world. But um, if you're just on Twitter for the sake of being on Twitter, that's probably not a useful way for a researcher to spend their time. So um, are you, do you still use social media in your current job as a, a research developer?
1: I don't use it anymore personally. For me, I find that as the years have gone on when I started using Twitter it was very much I used Twitter for as a professional account and I used Facebook for all my personal things you know what I got up to which pub I was you know sitting in and having a beer but as the years have gone on I noticed that the 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 boundaries were starting to get blurred with some people some of the um professionals that I was um I was following they were one minute they would be saying things about their um about their work but then the next minute they would be giving personal views on political um, political things which kind of for me um my what i thought about them their credibility um kind of dropped a little bit for me you know i appreciate everybody's got their own personal opinions for me it's very much if you're going to use this for professional purposes those personal opinions about you know people who support x y and z as stupid people that shouldn't be on this planet really be mixed up with um you know with your current nature paper um tweet
0: yeah, no, I think that's a really difficult one because lots of people ask me about this. My my standard advice is have multiple accounts. I have uh, nine Twitter accounts. I have a Facebook page. I run three other Facebook. Uh, kind of groups and pages for different projects that I'm part of and I use them all differently. But I think it's also about defining who you are. So I know researchers who mix professional and public in their Twitter feeds and they're absolutely brilliant at it because what they're doing is being the authentic version of themselves and being more interesting in many ways than the next computational biochemist along the road but it's it's really how you do that and what you expect to get out of it if you if you tweet only very private things you'll get a very specific type of follower and if you then start mixing in your personal stuff you'll lose some of those followers but you might gain other followers so it's there's a difficult balancing act and um, there's even a thing around you know do, trying some experiments Tweeting differently for a few days. See what happens in terms of who interacts with you, uh, who follows you, who unfollows you, and that sort of stuff. I'm a great believer in uh, little Twitter experiments. I used to do lots and lots of them. I don't so much these days because now I've got a very clear idea of what I'm on Twitter for, and I've got a very clear idea of what my different accounts are for. Um, Usually if I want to tell a joke, I don't do it as me, Steve. I do it as uh, Science Show, which is uh, entirely a comedic platform. Whereas I mix being a professional with uh, being a comedian, so it's difficult for all of the people in public engagement and research and development to follow me if I go on a rant. But if they see Science Show off doing it, they're like, "Ah, oh, Steve's using his dedicated rant account." I should say the rant account has twice as many followers as me. Are you still doing personal stuff on Facebook?
1: Um, yeah, so I, I, I do like Facebook. It's my naughty little procrastination habit. Um, I like to procrastinate, and when I do, it's um, it's Facebook. Um, but that's completely that's completely personal. None of my um, what I do for a living um, is on that purely because my friends don't care.
0: Weirdly, I'm very different. Partly because I'm freelance, I don't have that same division of my professional and my personal. I do quite a lot of uh, business stuff on Facebook. I use it to recruit performers for events that I'm putting on. But I think it's important, like with any of these, is to know why you're there. That's the main thing. I um, I meet researchers who say I just want to get my Twitter following up. And I just always reply with, why? What is it gonna do? I can I can buy a thousand bots to follow you. They'll all get wiped out in about a week when Twitter realizes they're bots, but it, it won't mean anything. The fact you've got these extra followers, you've got to think about uh, who's gonna follow you. What are they gonna follow you for? What are you gonna get out of it? Are you building your professional uh, voice and finding your professional voice? Or are you building a public voice or are you just kind of randomly getting involved in arguments? Um, I think one of the other things that's worth thinking about for everybody is is who is on which platforms. Because I meet lots of researchers who say I'm going to go on Twitter because I really want to get the message out to young people about my work. And you have to go, young people aren't on Twitter anymore. <laughs> Do you have any experience of other platforms,
1: Sam? Um, so I did used to use LinkedIn as well. Um, again, that's something that I kind of uh, I don't use um anymore it was i i found linkedin incredibly useful when i was thinking about leaving academia because there's a whole host of different people that work in different life science job sectors and it's really easy just to connect with them and con- and just talk to them um it was i found i found it really useful had quite a few interesting conversations with people in different sectors that i was interested in working with and they were really open and honest about what you know their day to day job was the only, I suppose, the downside I found LinkedIn was that when so you list all of this your expertise on there, and for that can be really useful for uh, recruitment agencies to um, pick to pick you up. And in certain professions, um, I'm going to use software development here um, as a good example. That's kind of where a lot of people will will find their next job. The re- recruiters will look at LinkedIn. But I found that when I found when a couple of people that I knew that worked in different job sectors. For example, car sales were endorsing the fact that I could do a Western blot. <laughs> um, you know, it was kind of like, mm, is it, you know, is this does this actually does this really mean anything? And yeah, you could see that there were quite a few. There, I suppose it was just perhaps some of my friends trying to help boost my credibility in inverted inverted commas. But yeah, you could see that, you know, their job was, you know, um, senior car sales for um, a particular brand of car. And, you know, when people are kind of looking at that, that are looking to think about employing you, are they actually going to believe that you can do a Western blot? (laughs) So I think it's just important to think about why why you're going to use LinkedIn. It's a question that I ask uh, when I do impromptu table topics for people, is LinkedIn a professional version of Facebook? Um, So it's kind of important to think about why, why, why you're using it. If it's, if you're in a sector, perhaps, you know, such as um, computer science, software development, where recruiters actually use that to then pick people out for jobs, then yeah, that's a really, it's a really great platform.
0: I think there are people I know who use LinkedIn brilliantly, and in some sectors, like you say, is how you find somebody's skills and how you find somebody's job. It's also a great job hunting site, because I think LinkedIn has a a system that is hunting for jobs on multiple other websites, so you don't have to dig through The Guardian and jobs.ac.uk and so on. The other people that I've seen use it brilliantly are finding out about potential employers because one of the nicest things to do when you're thinking about moving to, you know, a different group or a different university or a different research institute is see who your friends know who already works there and have a chat with them. And you can approach them through your friend because you've found the link on LinkedIn. The other way to do that is go on Facebook and go, who do I know who works at the British Heart Foundation labs in Cambridge? Um, But that's a bit more uh, random than hunting them down on LinkedIn. Um, I've also seen people use the blogging parts of LinkedIn because it means there's more ways for recruiters, especially to land on your page because it searches through all the blogs and things you've written. And it gives them a, a kind of wider sense of you authentically beyond just your skills. How do you think and what are you thinking about? those are the quite grown-up ones Uh, I'm also on Instagram because one of my jobs is I'm a photographer so I use Instagram to show my photos and I have seen quite a lot of researchers on Instagram now there's a whole wave of usually quite early career researchers who are using Instagram to um, connect with other researchers but they they end up connecting with researchers at their level which is quite good because you can have collegiate conversations about how do I do my western blots better and how do you all stay happy when you've had nine months of experiments completely fail and those sorts of things um so yeah i follow quite a lot of those they it's an interesting thing that is coming through i'm not quite sure what it does yet if that makes sense but yeah if you're looking looking to think how do i raise my profile in front of a potential employer instagram's probably no use for you So one of the things you might be thinking is that uh, Sam and Steve haven't really talked about Snapchat. They haven't really talked about TikTok. If you're watching this in 2021, you might be thinking they're not talking about the new thing that's come out in 2021. Um, We're not super cool. Um, We are slightly older than that. TikTok is mostly teenagers and people trying to sell to teenagers. Snapchat, I just never worked out. I couldn't get it to work with my brain and with the people that wanted to follow me. And with all of these, they're different. So if you just think I'm going to be on every single social media and I'm going to saturate, um, you've got to think about how are you going to make sure that you're producing content for all of them? Because any social media you're on, you need to be active. You can't be my LinkedIn page and have nothing going on. And I see people go, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, not realizing that video is a lot of work. And if you think I'm going to put a video out every week, you're not really going to do much else if that video is any good. Um, so you've got to kind of think and prioritise where are the people I want to meet and what's the best way to get in contact with them. Sam I was wondering do you have any standard advice for researchers on how to make social media whatever platform it is work for them?
1: I suppose my, my general advice is to really think about why why it is um, what is the overall reason for you actually wanting to use that, that platform. Um, any platform can be really useful I have um, a colleague who used Twitter amazingly well and actually she got headhunted via the fact that she was using Twitter in um, in such a good in such a good way. So she was um, tweeting about things that um, she was doing in the lab, tweeting about early career research, tweeting about things at conferences and really engaging with early career researchers. and this caught the eye of some senior um, professors at um, the university of um, at the University of Birmingham and um this allowed this um this meant then that they um came to her and said we've got these opportunities available for you and it was at the right time because contracts were finishing um and so she was yeah she was invited to apply for a position which she got and then her career completely um completely flew after that so really thinking about what it is you want people to see you as, as a person, as an individual, as a researcher on either, any of the platforms that you want to use. Really think about that before you start engaging with, with, it, with the social media platform.
0: And I think there's some great lessons in there in terms of you're never going to get noticed if you don't do anything. If you send one tweet a day at 9am saying just off to get some coffee, um, that's not really going to build much of a community around you. Um, You've got to think about how much you're putting in, what kinds of things you're putting in and and who's going to be looking and when they're looking. There's some really interesting stuff you can read about the best times of day to tweet for different groups. So, yeah, my my other advice I give people is you've got to provide a decent volume so you get spotted because there's a lot of noise. You need to provide uh, good value in the stuff that you're posting. If it's just here's my ill-formed opinion, or uh, I'm just going to get some coffee, it's not so interesting. But if it's like, actually, I've got some interesting comments to make on this new paper that people could pick up and discuss and argue with and look at, and so you're adding value, you're not just kind of constantly retweeting or adding noise to the system. And the other thing to think about is how you're going to be part of wider conversations. And my favourite way to do this is conferences, uh, where if you're at a conference and there's a hashtag, uh, you should be on Twitter nearly all the time on the conference using the hashtag. Because the great thing is lots of people will then come up to you in real life at the conference and say, I saw what you said about that talk about the fifth exon i'm just making up science words um i thought that was really great shall we have a coffee and chat about it and then i'll give you a big job at my lab um or something along those lines come and join my working group i thought that your insights on 18th century paris were incredibly interesting um so that's one way to do it but the other way to do it is if you haven't gone to the conference go and sit on the conference hashtag anyway. (laughs) And once you think I don't have to be at the conference, you realize that you can do this with anything that's happening in the news, anything that's hashtagable and relevant. You know, if news breaks that's relevant to your research, dive in. Don't just post. I have some thoughts about you're going to have to hashtag it so that people know what you're talking about. They can find you and they can be part. They know that you're part of this conversation about this new piece of German legislation, which is the same as something you wrote a history paper about or something like that. Sam, have you got anything to add on this sort of standard advice for I, every platform?
1: All I was going to say is I completely agree with when you're at a conference, um, jump on the hashtag um, that the that the conference has. That worked really well for me when I was going to conferences, and there was quite a few times during coffee breaks where I'd have somebody tap me on the shoulder and go, "Ah, oh, you're Sam. Um, let's ha- let's have a chat." And there were some nice collaborations that came that came out of that. Not all of them came to fruition, but again, people started to know who I was, um, and. And that's, that's that's where it started, really. And it makes, I tell you, it makes a coffee break session a lot easier, people coming up to you rather than you having to go and tap somebody on the shoulder and say, excuse me, can I just have a quick chat, please? Which can be really quite daunting, particularly for an early career researcher.
0: My standard advice to anybody who's running a conference or speaking at one is you want to be the last talk before the first coffee break on the first day, because then yes. for the rest of the conference, people will come up to you to talk about what you talked about. But if you can't do that, use Twitter. Sam has brought in here one of my normal pieces of advice, which is uh, on Twitter, you need to have a photo of you that looks like you, otherwise none of this can happen. Nobody can come up to you and say, "Ah, it's your Sam, you know all about the endocrinology. If you had a picture of your dog, they've no idea who you are. Um, And the other thing to think about is you need a bio that also says who you are and what your expertise is and why you're relevant. So again, if you have a picture of your dog and it says Cambridge resident, love, honey, um, and then you're tweeting about the conference. Nobody's going to come and find you. Cause even if it looked like you, they're like, this person seems, I don't know what they do or where they are. Whereas if it says Cambridge university postdoc in the so-and-so lab, looking at the glycolation of the, uh, whatever, um, then they know that they're talking to the right person. And I see so many people get this wrong, like really, really wrong. Their Twitter bio either makes you think, oh, this person just doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, or it makes you think I've no idea who this is um yeah i mean so i don't know what was your twitter bio like as a professional researcher if you are listening to this and you are a researcher go and have a look at the twitter bios of um more senior people in your department and see how bad some of them are because lots of them will be terrible um partly they're so well networked if they're very senior they don't have to worry about this sort of thing so they can just put cyclist father uh, Sam, we've hinted at this a little bit, but one of the things I'm really keen to do is find some case studies of researchers who've used um, social media very successfully to raise their profile. I was wondering if you've got anybody that you've you've helped develop and you've seen really explode through this.
1: There were a couple when I was when I was a postdoc and I was working with PhD students. There were a few that um, had Twitter accounts um, and they were using them more for, more for personal benefits at the time, but were. When they were coming towards the end of their phd and not sure what they wanted to do twitter was was really the thing i'm probably showing my age a little bit there but twitter was 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 the social media platform of the day
0: amazing now i think it's it's really kind of undervalued by a lot of researchers how they can get ahead like this because i think one of the challenge for researchers is that there are lots of excellent researchers out there and if all you're trying to do is be slightly more excellent than every other researcher around you it can be a difficult market to, to get the things you want, whereas it's I'm a great believer in making yourself an easy hire. You know, you're somebody they've already heard of or already interacted with and already think a good value. And um, social media is one of the ways of doing that. I'm a great believer in things like Facebook Groups. So, for most subjects in most places, there are closed Facebook groups for people who want to be part of it. You know, if you're a a 17th century historian, there is a 17th century historian's Facebook group that's closed and only open to researchers who work in that field around the world. And um, it's an alternative platform to any that might be set up kind of officially by universities or by learned societies where different people can kind of rise to the top and be seen as the interesting ones. If you can't find one that suits you, starting one is an even better career move than joining one because if you, as people come to it, especially if you're the admin who has to let them all in and you ask them a few questions on the way in, you get to know everybody who's on your field who's on Facebook and um, it's an absolutely wonderful way of meeting as many people as possible.
1: The other good thing about those types of networks, so I was part of the Young Embryology Network on Facebook uh, again when I was a postdoc. And um, they, they advertise things that you might not necessarily see advertised elsewhere. So because there's so many different people from different institutes, you, they will advertise the seminar series. And particularly when I was working in London, you know, UCL is only a five minute walk down the road from, from Camden. So, again, that's another really good way of kind of like getting your face seen by people in, in, in different re- uh, areas of research, which, again, can be really handy because if people can put a face to an application you're you're kind of you're a bit further on than somebody else
0: yeah and in some ways there's a there's a perfect world coming where none of that matters where applications are anonymized and all those to remove all the different biases but i think at the moment we're we're still operating in a world where thinking oh yeah i know that person they're the so-and-so person adds so much value to a job application that um i think we just have to admit that we live in that world at the moment and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll adapt as the world improves, I think it's fair to say. I think neither Sam nor I are in favour of nepotism and uh, uh, biases and all these things that can creep into application processes, but um, we are in favour of helping the researchers that we work with get ahead a bit.
1: Yep. yeah, definitely
0: example that I've seen that I really liked was when I was at UCL, a professor in digital humanities took advantage of the fact that UCL had a server which had free access to every paper that anyone at UCL had ever written, and she chose half of her papers at random and started tweeting about them like crazy and drawing attention to interesting things that was in them. And she left the other half, she didn't tweet about them. The citation rate of the ones that she was tweeting about became double that of the ones that she wasn't tweeting about. Just because so many more people made aware of the work that she was doing. And you can't just tweet, this is a good paper, this is a good paper, this is a good paper. You've got to kind of add to it. Show how it's relevant to the conversations that are going on at the moment. Show how it's relevant to the conference presentation that you're sitting through. Uh, show show how it's relevant to the conference presentation that you're sitting through. That was how I needed to do that sentence. Um, and yeah, so you can you can use social media for lots and lots of these different these different things. Um, I think also my mentees who set up a group called Minorities in STEM to support uh, Black and minority ethnic people from uh, right across science, technology, engineering, and either maths or medicine, depending on who you talk to. Um, And that came out through people meeting up on Twitter and sharing Twitter hashtags and being part of the same movements on Twitter. So there's wonderful things you can do with social media, but you've kind of got to have your eye on them. Uh, If you're just doing a little bit of tweeting here and there, uh, things aren't great. And the other things about social media are the costs. So the big obvious cost, and Sam, you've given it up because of this, it's just the amount of time involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I noticed particularly as I uh, moved from being a postdoc to um, the the current position I'm in now, I just started becoming a serial retweeter just because I didn't really have time to kind of formulate my own. So I was like retweeting ones that were very similar to mine. And you could kind of you could see that people were starting to unfollow me, which was which was which was fair enough. Um, And then when I but when I what I did notice was when I did actually have something to say, people weren't listening as much as they were when i was more active and instead of perhaps getting 10 or 12 retweets of what i was saying i may have got one
0: yeah well the the twitter algorithm is horrible for that sort of thing you need to be constantly on it or it will pull you out of people's feeds um i don't know if sam if you remember the pre-algorithm days of twitter it was much easier to use
1: yeah yeah
0: for people like you and me who have short bursts of time. So one of the pieces of advice I give everybody that I work with is you should think about how much time you're gonna dedicate to networking and profile raising in the widest sense. And I always suggest that should be half a day a week. So about four hours a week. And you can do that in little bits on Twitter, five minutes here, five minutes there. You can do it by going to some events to meet people. You probably can't at the moment. There's not a lot of events happening. You can do it by having Zoom conversations with people who might be your mentors, but you've got to think, I can't invest a whole day a week into person to person meeting people and then a whole day a week into social media because you're significantly cutting into the time to do the work that will give you the things to network and raise your profile about. Um, So I think that's one cost. The other cost that a lot of researchers talk to me about is um, what do I do when uh, I tweet something or I put something on Facebook and uh, people come after me? You know, there is a pylon by people and uh, sometimes those can be pylons from outside academia because there's, you know, you've said something that has enraged a particular interest group or uh, a well-organized political pylon. And sometimes you get pylons from within academia where especially um, there are still enough, I'm going to say grumpy senior researchers who will pile on to an early career researcher who said something slightly wrong. And um, you've got to slightly be aware of the fact that this is a risk, um, but be aware of it in a way that helps you think that it's not that much of a problem. Uh, All social media platforms have brilliant block functions. And uh, you can take a lot of the um, steam out of a situation like this, just by blocking everybody who comes after you. Uh, I'm a great believer in not engaging with anybody who's not engaging with you in good faith. If somebody is just trying to belittle you or push you around or arguing with your point for the sake of it, you don't have to engage with them. There's no academic discourse in calling each other names. so I'm just a great. I'm a huge block fan. I preemptively block people that I see being uh, annoying to my friends because I think there's no way I'll ever want to hear your opinion of you know why women are rubbish at science or whatever thing you've made up. So I'll preemptively block you from this conversation so that you never see any of my stuff and never decide to come after me. So there is that kind of side, and um, it's worth talking to people within your institution about that. The uh, whichever institution you're in will have policies about what you uh, can expect from them in terms of support. And there will be people who are more experienced than you, who will say, do you know what, just block all that lot and leave it. Um, but it also means that the the old strategy of building your profile on social media by being deliberately inflammatory doesn't really work because people just block you without thinking they won't get in and have a, a row with you and be like, well, actually it turns out we're both agreeing on, they'll just block you. So um, you've got to kind of be on air in good faith. Uh, so that you can then block the people who aren't on there in good faith. So one one question I think we both get a lot is uh, when I start job hunting, what should I do with my social media?
1: It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if if an employer is to Google, well, I'm I'm quite lucky, I suppose. I'm quite lucky now because I changed my my name when um, when I got married. Um, I didn't change my name as a postdoc because of all my papers and all of that. It would just get so confusing to kind of like search search for my papers. But when I moved. Um I took on my maiden name at work, so it's probably a little bit um trickier for people to 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 Google me now. Um, but I suppose if if people are just to put your name into into Google you know sometimes your Facebook stuff can be the first thing the first thing that comes up. Will they click on it? Probably not. a lot of people a lot of people that are looking potential employers will appreciate that you do have a private life. You know, they have a private life, they're probably on Facebook too, you know, tagging which pub they're in, you know, or having a glass of wine in their hand. So they're probably less likely to look at that. But as you go down, perhaps they might find your Instagram, your Twitter, your LinkedIn, and they're the ones that they'll probably home in on because they'll think that, you know, the impression is usually that they're the more professional platforms that people will be using. So I suppose you need to kind of think I would always um, encourage people to think um, carefully about the profile picture that you've got um, on your Twitter, your Instagram, your LinkedIn. If you want somebody to take you seriously as a professional, perhaps not having a, a picture of you, you know, necking a bottle of Prosecco as a profile picture. That's, that, that, you know, that, that might, might not be the best idea.
0: Going back to our previous point, the bottle of Prosecco would obscure part of your face and make it harder to find you at conferences.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's that's another really good point. Um so perhaps just spending a little time investing. I mean you do, you don't need to go to a photographer and have it have it done but you know perhaps have just a nice um a nice square on profile picture of your um of your face so that they can clearly they can clearly see you.
0: Um and so one thing I know a lot of people do is when they start job hunting they just switch Twitter to private. Um, which can be one way of not having a potential employer dig through something you said three years ago um, and maybe not know your personal politics because, you know, it's not really a potential employer's business what your personal politics are. So that can be quite useful. And yeah, think, think about what you put where. Think about the closed ecosystems and the open ecosystems. But for some people, having everything that they do and everything that they think and everything that they know about out there is part of their kind of authentic work personality. So if I try for things, uh, I'm happy for anyone to go and look at any of my social media because all you're doing is finding out a bit more about what I'm like. Uh, and there's enough stuff out there that you can balance the sensible things with the stupid things. The really stupid things are on other accounts. So you can go and read them and know that it's me, but you also know that it's me doing it in a kind of playful way space, and that that's not how I operate at work. Um, so these are things that I think individuals need to decide for themselves is how am I going to do it. But you can guarantee that if you're applying to work, especially in something sensitive, and you go on Twitter, and it's just hundreds of uh, just really inflammatory comments, that's not going to do you well. Also think about your email address. I once had a job application when I was hiring from somebody whose email address was just an incredibly offensive term at hotmail.com. And, um, he didn't. We didn't interview him because just there's a level of you've just written to a potential employer, and the email address you've put on the top is. And I'll tell Sam it, and I'll delete it out. But yeah, depending on who you're going to work for, I know big corporations uh have a reputation for their HR departments going and looking through your social media. um Research institutes, I think, are much much less so. Uh, they really care way more about whether you can do the research or not. So, do we have any final bits of advice?
1: If you're interested in in working with um social social media um after list, after listening to us there are other um there will be other workshops provided by the public engagement team at Cambridge so the engaged researcher go into a lot more depth into specific platforms um that might be something to to perhaps consider um looking in looking into just to give you a bit more of an idea of how you can how you can take it forward perhaps go and speak to people in in your lab. Um, in your department or people at your college as well are they using um twitter linkedin instagram tiktok or all these social media platforms and how are they how are they finding it how are they getting getting the most out of it i think just talking talking to people about it and getting lots of different um perspectives of these social media platforms and how to use them um, will will help you decide whether it's the the best thing for you
0: and I think, I think you can learn a lot just by looking at people who are already doing well in these fields. You know, when I want to understand how researchers can use Instagram, I go and follow 50 researchers who are using Instagram to communicate their work. My feed fills up with that and I can look and I can analyse and see what's getting traction, see what isn't getting traction, see where I think they're building up the, their career and see where I think they might be damaging their career with the content that they're putting out there. Sam, uh, as, are you on anything where people who've listened to this can go and follow? Find- follow you and see whether you're you're putting these wise words into um, practice
1: so we have a, a researcher development twitter handle um, it's at camrdp. yeah so go and check that out that's um, that's the main one um, I am considering coming back on um, onto twitter um, um, there'll be a big uh, announcement there will be <laughs> wait with baited breath
0: and uh, friends if you want to go and see the way I use Twitter across different accounts my main account is at Steve underscore X um, and then my silly account which is the one I use to run all my comedy shows is at Science Show Off uh, there are a bunch of other accounts that are me, but those are the two main interesting ones. Um, go and have a look at the different ways that I use them and uh, that even the different bios that are on them about how I am trying to separate the, a specifically playful space from somewhere where people might think that I am reflecting my real opinions um thank you everybody for listening uh we've had a wonderful time talking to you about this uh, there are a number of other podcasts in these series thinking about different ways that you can raise your profile and network uh without having to go to buildings and meet people because i know that that was a challenge for lots of us anyway and now it's a challenge for even more of us uh, so do join us for more of those and i will be probing sam's brain for more success stories from researchers across the university do you want to say bye to everybody sam
1: Bye, everyone. Good luck.
0: That was beautifully done. Goodbye, everybody. See you on the next podcast.